Welcome to Facilitating the Mission, the podcast of Shepherd Staff Mission Facilitators. My name is Brian Mondock. And my name is Jeff Jackson. Hey, Brian, what's yep. going on in your part of the country back there during the lockdown? Uh, well, you know, uh, I, you know, I, 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 there's a lot of pent up demand, I think, for people. I think they want to get the <laughs> heck out. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, uh, you know, I, I don't live in a super populated place like you do. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, basically all I do is go, my wife and I walk through the neighborhood and, you know, we walk the dog and I had the grandkids out walking with them few days ago and you you'll pass somebody on the street that's kind of doing the same thing but everybody gives each other you know like their space it's kind of like the etiquette you have at a bowling alley you know like when you walk up to the to the lane <laughs> and the guy in the lane next to you like gives you your space and kind of nods and smiles and no you go that's kind of that's kind of how it's going you know at the grocery store and in the sidewalk everybody yeah. is is polite. We're all in this together is the feeling. I think, um, uh-huh. Uh-huh. I think that, I like that. yeah, I, I think there's one or two obnoxious folks. Um, you know, we live in the, I live in the live free or die state. And so everybody really wants their, their personal freedom, but I think everybody's mm-hmm. like exercising their freedom to be polite and, and nice to each other and just, you know, we're all doing this together, kind of a thing. <laughs> well, that, and that's that's, that's funny going because, here. <laughs> and I like that. I like the uh, the metaphor, the bowling alley etiquette. And <laughs> and yeah. in the same way, you know, it's funny because uh, when I was growing up, you know, my mom and dad were on bowling leagues, and this uh-huh. is back in the day, you know. So I don't, I'm sure some of the people listening to this don't remember this, and, but when they had San those Diego? bowling leagues, they used to have overhead, yeah, in San Diego and Escobedo. And so they had these overhead projectors that you'd keep score on. And I, I would go in and keep score for the bowling leagues and get paid like five bucks a game to keep score. And, uh, but yeah, there was, there is sort of a, it's a great, it's a great analogy because it, you know, in the bowling alley etiquette, there are certain things you do and don't do when somebody's already standing there, you know, waiting to approach the line and throw the ball, you don't go, but then you always have the yo-yos that'll, that don't know the bowling alley etiquette or don't care about it. And they just go blasting up there. And so that's that's kind of how it is right now. <laughs> those guys that like hook the ball and like get a strike every time. I hate those guys. <laughs> no kidding. No kidding. Yeah. What a great what a great fun uh, hobby though or sport or whatever you call bowling. It's an awesome sport. Yeah. Yeah. You know my mom. You, you remember me? My mom. My mom uh, worked at La Mesa Bowl and Parkway Bowl. I I actually grew up in the after my parents divorced. I like grew up in the La Mesa Bowl daycare. So mm, yeah. In his seventies. Yeah. So I don't know yeah. if you know any of those places, but well we had our Palomar Lanes. That's what it was called here in Escondido. Mm. So I spent a lot of time there. And they had a they had sort of what a lot of people thought was a funky restaurant, but they made really good food and they had like the best burrito in town. It was really oh, good. Man. Yeah. Making my mouth all in alley burritos, man. Yeah. So anyway. But yeah, so we're out here, you know, it's, uh, it's, California's done a pretty good job on containing it. And so um, really people here are chomping at the bit now. And and we've had really crummy weather for us. 
And so the last couple of days, the sun's back out has been in the eighties. And so now all these people are like, just can't wait to get outside and go to the beaches and parks. But, you know, there's still not only a few parks are open. They haven't opened the beaches up yet. And they even, you know, surfing has been against the law during this whole thing, which is crazy as that is. But those guys, especially are chomping at the bit. I think I've seen some signs of people holding up signs in Southern California and saying, salt water, you can't catch corona and salt water. Kills the virus. Like <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Everybody's yeah. a scientist now, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, uh, I'll be, I'll be ready. For, I'm ready for the season to be over, but I don't think, I don't think we're ever going to get back to normal. I will it'll be a few years, I think, before we get back to normal. Have you talked to Dr. Nick at all? I, I have not talked with him. He's been very uh, busy, obviously. Uh -huh. um, and uh, he he actually was blessed with the opportunity to, you know, do the invocation at the county board of supervisors meeting a couple of days ago. And, wow. uh, you know, he's on, he's on the news pretty much every day here, um, giving uh -huh. the updates as the chief medical officer for the county. Um, yeah, so I'll, he's I'll put a big. Yeah. Yeah, I'll put a, I don't know, maybe put a link to his Facebook page or something. Yeah. Um, what's his full name? I always, uh, Nick, I always jack it up. <laughs> Nick Eventides. Oh, see, I would have never pulled that up. And and he's on the board of directors at Shepherd Staff, but he's also the chief medical officer for San Diego County. Is that right? That is correct. Yeah, he is uh, on the board of Shepherd Staff, old friend, and um, on the board of Shepherd Staff and also the chief medical director for San Diego County and has you know, has been really instrumental in, in keeping it, uh, keeping a lid on it here. So, um, yeah, San Diego and, and California in general has done, you know, being the most populous state in the, in the country, the number of cases for the size of our state has been really minimal comparatively. So, yeah. Have you seen any of those pictures of LA with the clear blue skies? And I know. <laughs> I, and and no traffic on the streets like what yeah yeah i have seen them well i when we can't get away from from any of this pandemic talk i i've seen on our facebook page that you've posted um caring for missionaries in a pandemic uh this this webinar that you did for our friends over at 1615 or with our friends at 1615 talk about that yeah i was uh i was invited to kind of um you know, do a, do a webinar to, um, help the people that tuned in to learn, you know, how do you, what does missionary care look like in the midst of a pandemic? And, um, it was, uh, you know, so basically I, I had free reign to sort of develop it the way I wanted. And so, um, basically what I, what I did was I kind of went at it from the angle of, Hey, I want to, I want, and you know me, I mean, I, I'm always, I, I've always got to start sort of with the theological basis of things. So what I wanted to do was just take the opportunity for the folks that were turning in to kind of reinforce, you know, sort of, hey, why are missionaries out there in the first place? Um, and then I, I kind of then said, and I want to also describe some of the experiences that uh, being a missionary entails. And then the rest of it was basically why this pandemic is uh, what I call the God orchestrated opportunity to to augment missionary care. And then uh, I went on and explained sort of, you know, this sort of how mission, the over the framework of how missionaries are sent and then pract some practical things on the end. 
at the end on some of the stuff that I've heard, you know, some of the stuff we've talked about here that churches are doing to be a blessing to their missionaries, um, <clears throat> you know, at the time. Uh, well, during some of the creative things, especially that, that churches are doing right now to be a blessing to their missionaries. So, yeah, so it was good. And, uh, you know, there's some good feedback, a lot of good questions. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, I think, I think one, you know, um, again, if you're, if somebody's going to jump over from this at some point to watch the webinar, they can, you know, they'll get it in more detail there. But the, you know, I just, I, I really felt strongly as I put it together that, that the missionary experience, you know, all the things that a missionary does um, that he's had to plunge into to become a missionary have actually put them in the position of being a resource for what's going on in our country back here. You know? Um, yeah. So, so, and, and one of the, like, like I, and I, I was doing another zoom call earlier today with some of the key leaders of the home churches that we serve and I was talking about, you know, when I, when I first went to the field, um, a smart missionary, a seasoned missionary told me, look, you know, you're working in a country, this, we were working in the Philippines, serving in the Philippines, you know, you're, you're an American. So regardless of what you think, you're going to be viewed as rich. You're going to be viewed as educated. Um, you're going to be viewed as, um, as an expert on almost anything. Um, and so what you've got to do is, you know, he said, you've got to be intentional about um, not, you know, developing relationships where everything rolls downhill from you to the locals. You've got to you've got to intentionally find areas that they're experts in and you're not and then ask them questions and let them, you know, uh, if you think of a, a back in the day, you know, a seesaw out on a playground, <laughs> you know, most of the time we as, as Americans are, we're up in the air and they're all down at the bottom and we're just constantly feeding information. They defer to us culturally. That's what they do. And we're always the experts on everything. So you have to be intentional about getting the seesaw completely opposite with them up in the air and things rolling downhill towards you. And it was very helpful advice that I used you know, uh, in a number of ways, but like one of the things I would do is we worked in a, in an area, a very poor area where, where like most people didn't finish, you know, elementary school and they were fishermen. They, they, they were just, you know, very hard life, terrible conditions they lived under, but we did some ministry there and you start to build relationships with some of those folks. And then, you know, based on what this guy had told me, I, I would basically, ask them questions about fishing. I don't know anything about fishing. And I certainly don't know anything about fishing in the Philippines, you know? So all of a sudden in a conversation, you know, you're, you're intentionally taking the low road and you're, you're putting them up as experts and becoming a learner and a listener. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, totally. I mean, the putting yourself in the seat of a, le of a learner is, yes, and listening, I mean, everybody loves to talk about what they know. Uh, exactly. I know that uh, in an overseas context, um, when you're sort of, I mean, you're the you're the American, you're showing up maybe in a village. I mean, you're sort of like, you're like a mythic figure in, in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, exactly. Getting the, moving the conversation to the place where, they're actually doing the pitching and you're doing the catching takes a little bit of work and intentionality. What's the best way to approach that? 
Yeah, the the simplest way is by uh, and again, it, it, it all, most most other cultures other than ours, they like to talk about their families. So this one of the simplest ways that I found was I would just start asking them about their family. You know, so tell me, you know, how long has your family lived here? You know, does your grand was your grandma and grandpa here? They don't tell me about. Um, you know, your wife, your cousins, your brothers and all that stuff. And then as they do that, then you you know, sort of lob in questions of like, okay, so how do you provide for yourself? You know, what's your, how, how does your family make a living? You might say. And then, and then what happens is whatever they, whatever they say, then you just start probing around with questions about that. Well, we're fishermen. Oh, okay. So you're a fisherman. So, so, you know, how do you, what's your, what's your tool for catching fish? And then all of a sudden, you know, in the way, what's the best time of day, you know, to catch fish and, and just, and then you act, you know, and you, you reinforce, look, cause they're talking about something. You have no idea of what they're talking about. You have no expertise in this area. So you can genuinely say, you know what, that is fascinating. That is just so interesting. So tell me more, you know, tell me more about some of the techniques that you've learned. And so all of a sudden the conversation, you know, they're on the same level as you, they're an expert and you're a listener and learner. And then when you do that, then you're, what you're doing is you're valuing them, you're honoring them. And so what happens is then when the opportunity comes for you to share, you're actually, they're, they're going to respect you more because you paid attention to who they are and you really have a, you know, um, you've honored them in the process. So. But basically, the link to missionaries is that missionaries are out there. And um, this season, because of what the missionary experience entails, the fact that they have chosen to social distance, you know, voluntarily to go out and be separated physically from everything familiar and comfortable, every person, every relationship, um, they've disconnected. So they've, 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 they've done what we're already in right now, and they've learned how to navigate within it. And they're, because they're immersed in a new culture over there in a completely different environment, the rhythms and routines of life are completely gone to what they had over here. So they've learned how to navigate in a world where rhythms and routines are, are not at all what they used to be. Um, and so, so they're this like inventory of, of experienced people that have already been where we're all at right now. And so, so the right. point that I make and and I, I use the term reciprocity for this is that most of the time, people and churches' interactions with missionaries is one way. You know, we're we're trying to figure out how to bless the missionary, and as we should, and we should support them financially. We should pray for them, and we should try to encourage them and everything. But what this is doing is it's kind of presenting this unique opportunity for us to say to them, "We need your expertise. We need you to tell us what are the things that God." gave to you to help you navigate what we're now in right here. So all of a sudden they're in the position now of being the person who can, who can pass on a good information and be a blessing to us. So to me, when I look at the bigger picture of what's going on in the pandemic and missionary care, in addition to all the practical things that we could be doing, and there are many of them, finding opportunities for the missionary to share from what they've learned and put them in a position of teaching us from their inventory is just, is going to be the greatest blessing to them and to us. And there's a reciprocity there that I think brings glory to God. That's great. So, and this was received well in the, uh, the webinar that you did over there with yeah, 1615. 
Yeah. In fact, some of the feedback, you know, afterwards was that was sort of an aha moment for most people. And, um, and well, whoever I've shared it with, it really is that, I mean, because, you know, all the variety of ways of blessing missionaries, um, there is some real creativity going on in there, but, but I think what's missing a lot of times is another way to bless a missionary is to maybe learn from them and put yourself in a position of dependence, uh, on them, uh, you might say, or mutual, encouragement with them. And, and when that happens, it's, ah, it's an incredible blessing to them. Mm. So what yeah, kind of along questions those lines, did you get? Yeah. Well, I got, I got questions about, uh, there, there were questions about, um, agencies, uh, you know, what's the role of the, the dynamic between the church and the agency, um, in the, in situations like this. And obviously the answer is most agencies are busy, and the people that do their missionary care are busy, especially during a time like this. So all agencies that I know, they they want engagement and involvement by the church. So the things that mm. churches should be good at, which is you know deepening relationships, having a resource base to meet the needs of missionaries all the time, but particularly during a season like this, um, <clears throat> you know that's. Um, yeah, you're not gonna. You're, because the question was sort of framed in the in the way in an uh, from the perspective of, you know, if the church really engages the missionary, is that going to create a problem or conflict with the agency? And my answer to that you know, oh, was cool. was basically not. No, it shouldn't. And um, and I said the one way, if that is a possibility, the best way to avoid it is communicate with the agency, tell them all that you're doing. Tell them that, you know, the things that you've initiated since this went down. And I, I don't know very many agencies that are going to say, oh, no, stop doing that. <laughs> I don't, in fact, I don't know anybody, any agency that's going to do that. So it, it seems that, yeah. it seems that as I've been in different talks uh, over the years, that agencies are always there. I mean, they, they recognize that the church is the best resource for their missionaries. I mean, it hasn't always been that way with agencies, but for the most part, that's right. Um, they're coming around to something that you've discovered a long time ago. Yeah, they, they have. And, and, and all agencies have a church relations director, you know, somebody in the role that I'm in, you know, with shepherd staff, a, a director of church relations. Uh -huh. Um, and, and the reason that they do that is because they recognize that, you know, partnership and clear communication and doing it together is what's going to make the missionary most effective. And so, um, you know, the niche that we navigate in is a little different um, so that that has to be taken into account because your traditional agency, they part of their vision is to accomplish something on the field. And so so like their perspective on the home church's engagement um, is going to impact the thing they specifically want to get accomplished on the field versus the context that we work within the paradigm we navigate in is, is no, we don't have a, a vision to accomplish anything directly on the field. We say to the church, what are you trying to accomplish and how can we help make that happen? And that distinction becomes clear um, in seasons like this. So, um, mm. but yeah, yeah. So then, and then there were just, you know, other questions on, cause I, I did delve into a little bit into, um, you know, how to, uh, when you, when you're, uh, inviting people to begin praying for your missionary now, cause you're already, you know, you already love a missionary. You wouldn't be tuning in obviously. 
So as you pray and then, you know, invite a group of people now that you normally wouldn't to start praying with you for the missionary. And, and so people ask me, well, you know, how do they, how do you do that? And so, you know, one of the points that I made was, look, this is a perfect opportunity. If you have a heart for missionaries and you're praying for them already, it, it's a perfect opportunity then to say to your friends within the church, um, hey, you know what, as, as radically crazy as it is for us here, um, you know, I've been praying for my missionary friend overseas. Let me tell you about his context over there. And when they, you explain that to somebody and then say, hey, would you mind joining me? Uh, you know, kind of becoming part of a group of people that I'm recruiting to pay to pray for missionary during this season. Um, you're, you're not going to get very many people that are going to say no. So so by right. painting a picture, uh, in a sense of saying, as, as, you know, as challenging as it is for us here, just think if you're living in a developing country and that doesn't have access to medical care like we have or resources that we have. Well, that's the missionary that I'm praying for. And they need a lot of prayer. You know, will you join me? It's a, it's a pretty easy on-ramp, really. So what kind of experience has any, did anybody in this, in this webinar share any experiences that they're having with their missionaries right now? Um, no, it wasn't really, it, it wasn't really, um, set up for that. It was mainly me, you know, doing the uh -huh. webinar and then, and then responding to their questions. Um, okay. but in some of the other conversations that I've had with people, yeah, I mean, it's, it's been, and the missionaries that I've talked to, uh, you know, they are all like, you know, they see God's hand in, in mm. this thing, prompting their churches to really try to connect with them at a better level. So as challenging That's as so good it is to hear, I know that. Field. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's so good to hear because at the beginning of this, you know, there's, you know, it's like, how are the churches going to respond? You know, will they, right. will they focus only on their local needs or will they, you know, think about the ones that they don't always think about? Right. Yeah. And I, and I think again, because, and this is where I see God's sovereign hand orchestrating things because I, you know, I, I think he permits events to happen to to sort of, you know, vet what we've been doing and get rid of the stuff that really wasn't important or essential and then concentrate on the stuff that really is. And and these kind of events, when you when you make clear to to members of local churches, hey, missionaries are still out there. And as crazy as our situation is here, it's even worse for them over there. Their lockdown is tighter. The consequences of the pandemic, you know, spreading quickly is greater over there. And if it does, their access to care is a lot less than we have here. When you start talking like that and people understand that missionaries have stayed out there and they're willing to take the risk of being in a context like that, it, it I think it sifts um, people and it sifts uh, their interests in what they want to spend their time doing. And I think that's one of the things God's doing in the midst of this is, is bringing to the surface and giving attention to things that should have had more attention in the past, but for whatever reason haven't. And that includes the gospel going forward to all nations because the Great Commission is still out there, still needs to be accomplished. Mm. So... I'm looking at uh, I'm looking at the thumbnail of this 
of the video they 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 uploaded i guess they uploaded this webinar to youtube mm -hmm. um the folks over at 1615 and there's this there's just a slide there that has four main points um under the heading why missionaries are out there so it right. sounds like you you kind of visited the basics before getting into the the practicalities of dealing with missionaries you know yeah in this season yeah. And that's what I, you know, that's kind of my, <laughs> my MO is I started off theologically, you know, why are missionaries out there? And so I made, you know, I made the point, Hey, they're yeah. out there because our God's the missionary God and he's seeking worshipers and he's the creator of ethno-linguistic groups. And they're out there because he commanded his church to go and make disciples from among them. And, and, and the other reason mm -hmm. they're still out there is he's told us what his end game is that he will get worship from every people, tribe, nation, and tongue from representatives of each of those, but it's not complete yet. Thanks for listening to Facilitating the Mission. We consider it a privilege to have you spend time with us. If you found today's podcast helpful, please leave a review on the podcast platform where you heard us. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Search at Shep Staff on any of these platforms. That's S-H-E-P-S-S-T-A-F-F. -S -S